Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher bakar banu mikol hamim, venantan lanu et torato. Baruch atah Adonai, noten ha-torah. Amen. Baruch abah b'shem Adonai. This week's Torah portion is Ekev, and it is the third parasha of Sefer Devarim, and overall it is the 46th parasha, and uh, just giving us a little recap about why, say, uh, the smaller number of the sequence of the Torah portion, starting with Devarim. So when you get to Sefer Devarim, this is like a second Torah, so a Torah Chatan, if you will, or you can just say Mishnah Torah like a repeating of the Torah. If you really want the Torah on cliff notes, you can start with Devarim and expand your way back. And again, this is why Mashiach Yeshua taught mostly or recited and quoted from Sefer Devarim because he's getting he's bringing us to a simplified point for us to expound upon, i.e. a Malkut of the rest of the Seferot. Remember, we talked about the Sephirot of Malkut containing everything within it, but there are higher worlds and higher uh, attributes above Malkut. For everything is in Malkut, but there's more depth and there is higher elevation. The more you gain insight and the more you refine yourself uh, in ascending. So when we look at starting with Devarim, we know that there are things that are not mentioned in Devarim. For instance, if you really want a full recap of the building of the tabernacle, the Mishkan, you got to go to Shemot. And if you want to know about the rebellion of Korak, like fully what happened, you got to go back to Bami Bar. If you want to know about the encampments and centering around the Mishkan, the encampments of the 12 tribes, then you got to go back to Bami Bar. If you want to learn about the Akida, where Abraham takes his son Yitzhak up Har Hamoriah, then you got to go back to Bereshit. If you want to learn about being redeemed from Egypt and all the 10 plagues, then you got to go back to Shemot. So just too many examples, but it's a point in case to show us that when we start, if we start from Devarim, just know that there is way more, which is why when we seek first the kingdom of a heaven, just because we're supposed to love Hashem and we're supposed to love our neighbor and we're supposed to do both equally, then that's not it. There's way more there. There's celebrating the Yom Tov. There's abstaining from sexual immorality. There is, um, you know, eating kosher, keeping the Shabbat. Uh, there is wearing zitzit. There is lighting candles. I'm getting rabbinic on them now. There is celebrating Hanukkah. And I do say getting rabbinical because if you really total the number of commandments, there are not 613. There are actually 620. So interesting because 620 is the gematria of Keter. So what's that really saying about all of the mitzvot? That you have to take the written and the oral in order to receive the crowned Torah. The Torah is king. Let's not get that wrong. But the king also wears a crown. 
that crown is called Keter. And so when you take the number seven, which is the number that you add to 613, because there are 613 commandments from Bereshit to Devarim, that's 613. But when you add the seven rabbinic mitzvot, the, the letter seven, yes, the letter, not the number. The number is the letter and the letter is the number. So if we say seven, we can say seven or we can say Zayin. The reason why I bring up Zayin as number seven, because Zayin is a Vav. And remember, Vav is Mashiach, Vav is Torah. This is brought down by Zohar. Uh, to be specific, Zohar Mishpatim and Zohar, uh, yes, just Zohar Mishpatim. So if you want to learn about the Vav and Mashiach, go to Zohar Mishpatim. Uh, then Vav being man, Vav being Torah, Vav being Mashiach, because Mashiach was in the likeness of a man who was the Torah made flesh. So that's your Vav. And remember, there are two Vavs inside of the Vav. You can spell Vav, 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 or Vav, Aleph, Vav. If you spell it Vav, Aleph, Vav, remember Aleph breaks down into two Yods and one Vav. So now you have three Vavs and two Yods, which is Vav is six, plus another Vav, that's twelve, plus another Vav, that's eighteen. That is Chai. And then you take the two Yods, which represent the the lower 10 sephirot, which is of our animal soul. And then you connect them to our godly soul, which come from the 10 commandments, also known as 10 attributes, which is why the 10 commandments line up with the 10 plagues, which line up with the 10 utterances of creation, which line up with the 10 attributes of Hashem. And so we take Hashem's 10 and add it to our 10 and you get 20. And so you have the Vav, Aleph, Vav, breaking it down into three Vavs, two Yotes. You have the 18 plus the 20, which is the Keter, because Kaf represents Keter. But then you have the two, you have your animal soul with your godly soul. So our, our attributes with Hashem's attributes to get 20, our 10 with Hashem's 10. So therefore, that's a crown and a Keter. And then we have Chai. So the life of man connected with Hashem is Vav, which is Mashiach, i.e. the two Mashiachs, so there's two Vavs. And then you have the other Vav that we've been talking about uh, that comes into play. So that that's 18 and then that's, um, that's Hashem. Because remember the other Vav came from the Aleph when we broke it down into two Yotes and a Vav. Because that's how you make an Aleph. And again, the top Yod of the Aleph represents the heavenly world or the world to come. The lower Yod of the Aleph represents this world, the Olam Hazeh. And I distinctly remember the writings of Shaul Hashliach. He, from uh, the Egeret Rome, chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Be not conformed, or Slikah, uh, Egeret, Rome 12, verse 2, he says, be not conformed to the pattern of this world, the lower yod, but be conformed to the the world to come, the, the world that is to come ahead of us. So be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
which means if you renew your mind, you have to receive from above, which is the higher yod. The only way to get to the higher yod, though, is through the vav. And again, vav is Torah, vav is Mashiach. So all of that to say, you got your vav, that's your Torah, and then you have your vav with a yod on top, and that makes the letter Zion. And remember, you crown man with the higher yod. You get the letter Zion, which is our seven, which is connecting back to our 613. Now let's take it a little further because 613, you can add up those three numbers. First of all, let's rewind them. 316. And remember, 314 is Shaddai, right? So if you add two to Shaddai, 314, then you get 316. Which you add a bet to Shaddai, you get Be Shaddai, which is in he who is all sufficient. Or remember, Shaddai is also Memtet in Gematria equivalent. So Memtet equals 314 in Gematria. And so if you add two to Memtet, then you get in Memtet, which is in the way, the truth, and the life, because Memtet means teacher of the way. So if you really want to be a Mashiach, that's that's kind of what happens when you're in the 613. Because when you rearrange 613 to 316, you're in Mashiach. Okay, so now take those numbers, add them together. 3 plus 1 plus 6, you get 10, which is the 10 mitzvot, the 10 soul powers of man, or the 10 that Hashem gives us, and so on and so forth. So all of our tens there, all of our sixes there. Now, we got the 613, right? And we made a 10. So now what if we took the 10 and added it to the 7? Then that would be 17, which is the gematria of Tov. And as the Mishle, which is Proverbs, commentary brings down the Torah is called Tov. And then bring down the living Torah, Mashiach Yeshua, his words, he says, why do you call me good? There's none good but Hashem. So Mashiach was accused of being called Tov. And then he says, well, I'm not Tov. Only one is Tov, which is Hashem. And then the commentaries talk about Tov being the Torah, which is a good teaching. So Mashiach was accused of being Torah, which the Torah always points back to Hashem because he says, don't look at me, look at Hashem. This is why the word of God emanating from his mouth always points back to where it came from because we wouldn't have the word of God if we didn't pay attention to Hashem. So if we're in the word of God, then what does that really mean? That means we're in he who sent that word. Okay, because there's no other way to be in the word of God if you're not in Hashem. So then if you really think about the idea of the Trinity, let's think about this for a moment. So Hashem is one and there is no other, right? So that's that's what Mashiach was told when he was questioned, what is the greatest commandment? And he brings up the fact that it is the Shema. And then he also says, because Hashem is one and there is no other. And they're like, right, you have spoken. Hashem is one and there is no other. So that's brought down in the Basor. So here's the thing. If Hashem is one and there is no other, then why does the Trinity doctrine exist? Semantically, I know why it exists. Because human minds trying to work this out. And we're in Rome. 
yes, we need to dissect things. We need to bring it down to our level. We can't leave it all up in there. We can't uh, bond with the Torah because we don't want that Jewish stuff. So when you step outside the mind of a Jew, then that's where you get the Trinity from. Jews have never, ever taught Trinity, seen Trinity, believed in Trinity. And Moshe didn't teach it. Yosef Hazadik didn't teach it. Avraham Avinu Show didn't teach it. He told everybody and their grandsisters that there's only one God. He never said that there's three gods, but really they're the same God and they're one. And again, go back to uh, a previous GT that I po posted about if you really want to dial Hashem down to three manifestations, then you've taken out a whole lot of problems in the word of God. Because I went over the fact that there's the clouds of glory, the rock, the manna, uh, the, the living water that flow, the Torah, the spirit of Hashem, the word of Hashem, Mashiach Yeshua himself, Hashem's voice. Uh, yeah, so there's all sorts of manifestations that you just obliterate if you come up with the Trinity. So you don't want to do that. So you want to keep Hashem one. And this is why it's important for us to bind ourselves up in Mashiach so that we have that uh, interface, if you will, that will give us a right heart, a right mind and understanding of the oneness of Hashem because he is one and there is no other. So let's do the horrible breakdown of the Trinity, if you will. So now you have Hashem who is one. He speaks and from his mouth comes Yeshua. Because you remember, like, Yeshua is the word of God. And when you speak, your words are there. There's all sorts of commentary, actually, uh, that we've come across at Lapid about how the words are like a manifestation of the person who spoke them. So, in other words, your words can actually take on an image. So, people can literally know you by your words. So, if you kind of think about how crazy that is, um, that is in some crazy sources that, you know... Uh, because we celebrate Shabbat and get together in study groups quite frequently, um, these things have happened. I've found that trying to codify every single insight ain't going to happen. So the best we can do is remember what we learned and um, quote it appropriately with the help of Hashem. Uh, if we ever have issues trying to recite uh, things that we have studied and learned, Number one, we should always review what we learned. Number two, uh, pray to Hashem for memory. So um, when things aren't uttered by you and someone else assaults you with insights, because at these study groups, this is what happens. At Lapid, we have to be violent. So when we get in our study groups, we call it a, uh, a gauntlet. We call it the Thunderdome. We call it Avengers Assemble. OK, or whatever we want to call it, Smackdown, Royal Rumble, uh, back alley beat down, uh, something to that effect. Because it's, the thing is, is as Lapid, we are children of Yosef. Yosef was never embraced by his family until it was the appointed time. And so a lot of things we have to do, we have to fight for. We have to do it on our own. We have to pull up our own bootstraps because we're always going to be seen as illegitimate until the time we're going to be seen as legitimate. Just the way that Yosef was seen as not the king, 
He was told that by his brothers. He was told that by his fathers. And then all of a sudden he's in Egypt. There is a famine in the whole entire world. His brothers show up and they have to go back and get Benjamin. Then they have to go back and get Yaakov. And then they find out Yosef is king. And they're all bowing before him and depending on him for sustenance. So about that. So we don't have time, by the way, as Lapid and Ben B'nai Yosef, sons of Mashiach ben Yosef, to be bitter. Because everything we do, we're preparing a way for the Olam Haba. Which is why at Lapid, it is our job to bring the final redemption. So do everything that is within our power and fight back against all darkness, all um, principalities, if you will, and powers of the air. Because I, I guarantee you, you will get beat down. So anyway, forming study groups is the best thing to safeguard your soul. Have uh, about two to three people. No, have about three to four people. Yeah, there you go. Have about three to four people that you can text with during the week. Don't text each other every day. Just don't. Okay. Like life is happening so fast. Just just don't. And don't get your feelings hurt, by the way, when people don't respond back to your messages. You'd be like, man, I found this cool insight. Look at this. It just punched me right in the face. And you're like, and waiting. Somebody going to send me a GIF. I know they are. I know somebody's going to send me a GIF. Sleeka, I said GIF, like an old man, but GIF. Uh, so GIF, the little animated images that you can send, you know, like uh, most of the things that we send as Lapid, we either send uh, the corresponding Avenger characters during their thing. You know, if Captain uh, Israel, uh, Rabbi Mordecai Griffin, if he sent something, I send Captain America throwing a shield or doing some kind of violent move. Uh, if the incredible professor talmud because he's a professor now not just the incredible talmud because you know it's professor hulk not just incredible hulk and so when he does something i send him professor hulk you know and so if not then we send like bruce lee doing a roundhouse kick or chuck norris doing something or something like that just whatever is violent but anyway you have to have these study groups wait for each other um you know on responses and be gracious and kind and compassionate because not everybody can think like you. So the reason why we're all in this together is because we're all supposed to put our minds together. Emphasis on together. So, you know, enjoy, uh, you know, especially when you're done at shul on Shabbat after we do our Minka time or our Oneg time, you know, get with your people, uh, host each other and things like that. Uh, and then you can be like, hey, earlier in the week, you know, you sent this, you know, let's talk about that. Or, man, I was listening to Rabbi Josh today, you know, and it was just kind of like, man, OK, so let me talk about this, you know, so kind of recap, pun intended, or kind of go back over things. So these are just some things that you should do. You should actually form study groups. This will be something that, you know, will be super beneficial for you. Have a moderator in the group. Have someone that you're okay with esteeming to be kind of a go-to person. Not a, he knows it all, so we're just going to listen to him. But no, like a person who can like, hey guys, you know, um, how's everybody doing? Or, you know, so-and-so said this, you know, on his insight, so this connects with that. Or is, you know, just kind of source checking out, you know, making sure everything is all cold beside you know, 
uh, we when we get into roles of leadership, we don't ever want to lord it over people. I distinctly remember Mashiach talking about that. Do not lord your positions over one another. So be humble, right? Interestingly enough, a lot of this podcast is going to talk about humility. So why, why start now? OK, so let's go ahead and start now. Why not start now? There we go. Humility is basically dust on the earth. The thing about dust is it's in a place where it's low, but it one day will be above every single human being. So, you know, think about that. When you talk about being humble, that you place yourself beneath people. And by the way, adding to this, he who humbles himself will be exalted. And it's not that you humble yourself so that you know you're going to be lifted up. But if you spend time lowering yourself before people, eventually you will be raised up and you will be esteemed. This is why we use the dust in a lot of the mitzvot, like the waters of the Sota, you know, um, and different uh, mitzvot that uh, that are connected slika, to the to the altar in the courtyard, uh, by the way, because the altar in the courtyard has dust in it. So there's all sorts of stuff. And, you know, being those kind of people who, you know, you're not worried about always being right. You're not worried about always being on top. You know, you're not worried about always being the talk of the town, the person who's head knowledge. You know, if someone has an argument with you, then you know, you first take in and consider, hey, where's this coming from? Did I do something to offend you? Let's let's go back a couple of steps before the name calling, you know, kind of thing. Slow the train down. Humble people stop trains. It's just as simple as that. You know, uh, the character Luke Cage, how like it's really hard to hit him and knock him over. Shouts out to Luke Coat Cage, i.e. Moshe Timmons. Um, but anyway, cause he's Luke Oak Cage. So it's really hard to knock him over. I mean, he can get, get pretty beat down, but you know, he's, he's Luke Oak, like Sapphire stones. Like he ain't messing with that. Only way the Sapphire stones is broken is if Hashem wants them to be. But the thing about that is even if the Sapphire stones are broken, there's still shards of them that remain unbroken. So you may get chopped down a little bit as a humble person, but one part of you will always remain unbroken. So let that be a lesson to us because Sapphire tablets got broken this tour portion Two, by the way, I want to bring that down. So thank you Hashem for letting me randomly get into this off this huge rabbit trail that we're on or lamb trail. Cause we want kosher animals. But, um, the Sapphire tablets notice when he's, when Moshe says I threw them down, Go a few verses later and he says, I threw myself down before Hashem. So I loved that connection that the Redeemer is thrown down just like the Sapphire tablets. So the Sapphire tablets are intricately connected to the Redeemer. And by the way, Moshe grabbed the tablets and threw them down, even though he already possessed them. He wanted to put his hands on them to take part in the sin of Israel. So, yes, this is now he who knew no sin became sin so that he might bring forth the righteousness of Hashem. This is why Hashem also applauded him for doing so. 
so yeah all right so death of the righteous is also uh commented on this tour portion because when moshe talks about the death of aharon it's shortly after the shattering of the tablets so death of azotic or the death of a righteous one is equated with the breaking of the tablets which is equated with moshe and throwing himself down to make atonement for us by going to hashem and asking for forgiveness so obviously Mashiach done did or Mashiach has done just a few of those things and he continues to intercede at the right hand as if that weren't enough. So pretty much Mashiach is kind of like at that second trip up the mountain. And so we're waiting on his final, you know, descent and, uh, you know, Bezrat Hashem, it will be this this coming year. So may it be so, Baruch HaBashem Adonai. All right, so form study groups all the way back, getting connections, getting connections, 613 crowned man, the seven mitzvot with the 613. This is me rewinding back in my head to make sure I covered everything. That was such a long rabbit trail that I don't even know where I was, to be honest. So, uh, all that to say, the 620, I wanted us to just get down to, oh, Tove, that the 613, 6 plus 1 plus 3 is 10. And then you add on the seven rabbinic mitzvot, which are the, uh, you know, things like Hanukkah, things like, uh, what are some of the other ones? Um, candle lighting. Yes. Stuff like that. Okay. And. You put that all together, that's 17, that's Tov, that's Torah, that's Mashiach, that's Hashem. You got the horrible Trinity breakdown that I went through a while back, you know, talking about how if you say, okay, Hashem, that's you. Now we'll take Hashem away and we'll talk about just his word that he spoke from his mouth because that's an image of Hashem. And then we'll take that and then we'll go, well, there's the Holy Spirit in there somewhere because it's like, okay. And then you realize that, you know, it's also written uh, in Corinth or to the Corinthians that Hashem is spirit. So there's that. So then you're like, okay, so is Hashem spirit or is he Ruach HaKodesh or like is the spirit separate from the Ruach HaKodesh? And then what's the Shekinah? So, yeah, so you start like divvying all these things up and you get yourself into a dead end. So I don't know how Trinitarians ever made out with this for like centuries and like nobody's like saying, hey, there's a lot of holes in this straw man argument or there's a lot of holes in this piece of paper that you Romans came up with. How come Jews don't ever talk about the Trinity? But they talk about Hashem as Ain Sof. And then all these manifestation, manifestations and emanations from him. It's probably because there's more than three. So, yeah. Even Hashem's name has four letters in it. So, Hashem is not a trinity. Anyway. The only trinity that really exists is the patriarchs. But even if you want to go there, there's a strong commentary argument that there are actually four patriarchs because Yosef is kind of like this. Well, he's a patriarch, but not really. And really, he should have been a patriarch and the 12 tribes should have descended from him. 
But, you know, no, 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 that's okay. You know, the, the patriarchs have to line up with the three festivals, but then there's uh, Sheminiat Zeret, and then that's the festival of Yosef. So, like, really, Sheminiat Zeret is a part of Sukkot, but, like, yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, so really when you think about it, there's technically no trinity. So, yeah, we're just going to go from there and just keep moving. All right, so... I wanted to open up with some Zohar. I have been privileged to receive the Sonsino Presaudition. That's how I got to say it now. Sonsino Presaudition. And uh, so I'm so excited to be upgraded to this. I just want to take it all the way back to Parashat Toldot. Because I'm going to be in Zohar. Ready for this? Volume 2. 134A through 134B. If you really want a page number, because I can do that now. Page 36 and 37. I want to read just a little bit of 36 and then I'm going to jump all the way over to 37 because this just just makes me lose my mind. Because, you know, Parsha Ekev is about the heel of the mitzvot. The smallest of the mitzvot are accredited to like the most heightened part of the body the heel and the head when have we ever seen this oh maybe something about this prophecy that you know the heel will crew will crush the head of the serpent and the serpent will bruise the heel so you got the head and the heel right there and so really you when you really think about it this is another picture of malkut and keter yeah the lowest with the highest because Malkut is contained in Keter, and Keter is contained in Malkut. So tab on that, because Bezrat Hashem, we can do the four worlds study. All right, and uh, really break this down a little bit more. All right, so Zohar, Sonsino Presaldishon. All right, here we go. Toldo, 134a, engaged. Rabbi Hia wants this course on the text. Who can express the mighty acts of Adonai or who or Slika, who can express the mighty acts of Adonai or make all his praise to be heard? Tehillim 104.2. OK, I just read Roman numerals on the fly. I hope that was right. CV1. OK, 106. Brugashim. All right, Tehillim 106.2. I don't like Roman numerals. We need to get more Aleph Bet up in here. But anyway, so who can express the mighty acts of Adonai or who or wow, I don't know why I keep adding who or make all his praise to be heard. Who can do that? It says when God, he said, this is Rabbi Hia, when God, he said, resolved to create the world, he used the Torah, i.e. bear a sheet. Through Devarim. That's what Hashem used to create the world. Let's camp there for a second. He used the Torah as the plan, both of the whole and the parts. Hence, Scripture says, Then I was by him as a nursling, and I was daily all delight. Mishle 8 Verse 30, where the word Amon, which is nursling, may also be read as Oman, which is architect or designer. And we can go ahead and say it can also represent Amen, 
which is El Melech Neiman, God, King, Faithful One. Anyway, uh, so when God was about to create man, the Torah remonstrated saying, should man be created and, and then sin and be brought to trial before you? The work of your hand will be in vain, for he will not be able to endure your judgment. Whereto God replied, by the way, God is speaking to himself. I just want to point this out. So when Yeshua is praying, okay, it's the same thing. He's speaking to Hashem. Hashem is speaking to him. Just like right here, Hashem is speaking to Torah. Torah is speaking to Hashem. And Hashem is speaking back to the Torah. It says, whereto God replied, I had already fashioned repentance, which is teshuva, before creating the world. When God created the world, he said to it, O world, world, you and your order are founded only upon the Torah, i.e. Mashiach is the firstborn of all creation. All creation is found in him. And in Mashiach, all things hold together. And this is why being in Mashiach is being in Teshuvah, because Teshuvah is the counterpart to that which existed in the beginning before creation. Okay, which is why the Shabbat, Mashiach says, I'm the Lord of Shabbat, and Shabbat rearranges to Teshuv. Or if you want to say HaShabbat, then it rearranges to Teshuvah, which is repentance. So Shabbat, repentance. The Lord of repentance, i.e. the counterpart to repentance, i.e. the one who is over repentance is the Torah, which is Mashiach. Okay, so it says, where to God replied, I already fashioned that. Okay, and then he says, I already fashioned repentance before creating the world. When God created the world, he said to it, O world, world, you and your order are founded only upon the Torah. I just love reading that. So I had to read it again. The world is founded upon the Torah. So here's the deal. The more you suppress Torah, the more you destroy the world. The more you take the Torah's yoke upon you, the more you rebuild and repair the world. This is why we don't have no Alam Haba yet. We don't have enough people in Torah. So let's get more Torah going, shall we? It's really fun anyway. Anyway, uh, and by the way, if we have more people eating kosher, we can get kosher fast food. Not that we need to have fast food, but just for the sake of convenience. Because you know how some of us are. Some of us food lovers. <coughs> I meant, <coughs> what? Anyway, uh, not that I'm bitter or anything about why don't we have kosher fast food restaurants, but I'm just saying there's a kosher parv McDonald's in Eretz Rael, and there ain't one in Texas. What's up with that? Anyway, y'all are probably like, why are you upset about McDonald's? Like, McDonald's is like the Ekev of all food. Yeah, exactly. Like this week's tart portion, Ekev. Anyway, I'm, I'm being kind of coy or crazy or something i don't know let me read this source though and therefore i have created man and you that oh my goodness he said i created man in the torah the seriously it says therefore i've created man in you torah because the world is founded upon you that you may apply or that he may apply himself to its study Otherwise, I will turn you into chaos again. 
Okay, so the world is founded upon Torah. And then Hashem says, I created man in the world, which is upon Torah, which is in Torah, that he may apply himself to its study and otherwise he would turn the world into chaos. So the thing is, we have a lot of chaos in the world. That's because we are not founded in our source. So we're not, we got to study, we got to apply ourselves to it. Got to apply ourselves to Mashiach. This is why being conformed to Mashiach or hidden in Mashiach or finding all the mysteries and hidden treasures in Mashiach is not new. Because remember, the New Testament's not new. The only reason it's called the New Testament is because of Marcion, who wanted to make there be two gods and say there's a God of the Old Testament who was very wrathful. He was very vengeance and Thank God for his son to take away that vengeance. And now we have a new God and he's nice. He's kind. He's gracious. He doesn't kill anybody. But yet no one ever talks about acts where Ananias and Sapphira, like they died on the spot when they lied about giving Zadaka. So don't lie about giving Zadaka. Hashtag Torah study. Okay. Anyway. And, you know, it's just too bad. You know, Paul was killed horribly. Kepha was killed horribly. Man, this guy of the New Testament was just slaying folks. Wow. He wasn't all wrathful and vengeance, but he sure created a lot of martyrs. Okay, that was sarcasm. But it came out from a passionate place because we got to stop saying New Testament. That's That's it. That's all I wanted to say. I guess I could have said that and been done with it, but I had to go there. Ah, so much for GT, right? Just going too fast for my own good. All right. Geula, though. Baruch HaBabashim Adonai. Let's do it. Let's stop calling it New Testament. Let's study some Torah. Apply ourselves to his teachings. I could keep reading, but I told you I was going to go to page 37 because here's what I saw on 37. It says, the Torah contains all the deepest and most recondite. Recondite. Recondite? Recondite. Klondike. I don't know. Recondit mysteries and all sublime doctrines, both disclosed and undisclosed. And it says all essences, both of the higher and the lower grades of this world and of the world to come are to be found there. But there is no one to fathom its teachings. Hence it is written, who can express the mighty acts of Adonai or who, ah, I keep saying who, or make the whole of his praise to be heard. Again, back to that Tehillim I quoted before. So uh, there's a whole thing about Shlomo and it's like, well, yeah, he did, but not really. And so again, who can express the mighty acts of Adonai? So I want to point out that who is me in Hebrew, Mem Yod, which is me, which is a funny thing if you want to say, well, who is she? And the way you say that is me who, or Slika, uh, me he, like who is she? So me, he, like he is she in Hebrew, and then me is who in Hebrew, and he is who. So you can say uh, he is uh, she and then who is he, but then me is who. So, yeah, it's a little crazy thing. All right. Anyway, I just had to throw that out there. 
uh, a little funny clip I saw from Rush Hour 3. Not that I recommend that movie at all. Literally, the movie got turned off. So I did see this clip, though. And it was uh, Chris Tucker walking into a little karate dojo place. And um, he was getting all upset because he needed to answer some questions for an investigation. And he was just like, I need to talk to the to the master. Who is you? And then he's like, I'm you. And he's like, no, I'm me, man. You know, it was just kind of this whole scene. It's like, well, then if you if you were me and then who is he? And he's like, he he's like, no, man, I'm asking who is he? He's like, I'm me. And it was just kind of this whole scene. But anyway, I was trying to be comedic, but I need to be serious right now. So let's get back to the seriousness. Me is the gematria of 50. Okay, I am really laughing right now. I just, me, who, he, just, wow, I'm me, and that's, yeah. Anyway, me is 50. 50 is noon. Yes, everybody got it. Noon is the 14th letter of the Hebrew Aleph Bet. What? Okay, because you got the Yod is 10. I'm checking myself. The Kaf is 11. The Lamed is 12. The Mem is 13. Noon, 14. Okay, Rukashim. It's always good to check yourself even though you think you are good because if you don't check yourself, you might just wreck yourself. All right, anyway, so noon's 14. 14, guess what? David. Because the gematria of 14 is David. It's also the gematria of Yad, which is hand. So if we really talk about who can express the mighty acts of Adonai, it's David, i.e. Mashiach ben David, or the hand of Hashem. Because who can express the mighty acts? How do you act? You use your limbs, right? And so if your limbs do something, they've been informed. Just saying, Mashiach is the arm of God, and he is what was used to bring salvation. So the arm of God, the word of God, knows the mighty acts of God because it is the mighty acts of God. This is why Mashiach was always looked at like, who taught this guy? How does he know all this? We've never heard anybody teach with such authority. And how did he say, I'm greater than the temple or tear down this temple? Because the temple comes from him. The Shabbat comes from him. It's all found in Mashiach. It contains all deepest, recondite mysteries, sublime doctrines, disclosed, undisclosed, essences, both higher and lower grades of this world and the world to come are found there. There is none to fathom its teachings. This is Torah. This is Devarim through or Bereshit through Devarim. So, yeah, let's let's rethink about this New Testament stuff. There's nothing new. It's all found in Bereshit through Devarim. It is like. Yeah, I don't know what it's like. Anyway, so a Kev, right? So if you add a Yod to a Kev, which it becomes Yaakov. Well, now we got to talk about Yaakov because Yaakov is all about the heel. Well, I mean, not all, but a little bit. Because I want to take us back to, um, by the way, Swerve. I know. Like, of all times, I'm going to call Swerve. Now I call Swerve. This is too late for that. Okay, so Swerve. So, you know that thing where, like, um, Yehoshua is accompanying 
uh, Moshe on the mountain, and uh, it's back in Parsha Kitisa, Mishpatim, uh, and all that, right? So, in first of all, in Parsha Kitisa, uh, Shemot 34.3, it says, Ve'ish lo ya'ale, and no man, literally no man, shall come up with you on the mountain. But yet, Yehoshua was found on the mountain, some sources say, or Keher Tumash brings down from Mishpatim. This is specifically from chapter 24 and verse 13. I'm going to read the interpolated. You ready? It says, Moshe then arose with Yehoshua, his attendant, and Moshe ascended the mountain. Yehoshua accompanied Moshe as far as he was permitted, i.e. up to the fence surrounding the mountain. He pitched his tent there and stayed there for the entire 40 days, awaiting Moshe's return. And so we see that no man is to be on the mountain, but yet Yehoshua is to be like at the foot of the mountain or according to some commenta uh, comments, commentaries he's on the mountain and i just want to point out that yehoshua is seen as ish lo like a man not and if you do uh ish lo like so i'm just taking this phrase here sleek out ve ish lo if you just take that phrase you have uh the gematria of 348 which when you do seven plus eight you get 15 and 15 is Yah, which is Yeshua HaMashiach, Yod and Hey, right? And also that Yah, like literally is Hashem. So Yeshua being a picture of Hashem, Yeshua HaMashiach being the, the one who is not a man, the one who makes Aliyah. And again, this is why Yeshua literally made Aliyah, you know, and Moshe was on the mountain with him. So transfiguration and all that. And then uh, I want to point out, too, that the gematria of 348 is merachok. Because merachok is used as the word from afar, like back in the Akedah, like uh, Abraham saw the mountain from afar. Literally, this word can also mean he saw that in the future. So when he saw Yeshua's day and rejoiced, he saw merachok. And then uh, you have the, the picture as well of Chok uh, Ram, which is Merachok broken up. And when you look at Chok, which is the word Chuk or statute, and then you got Ram, Ram is like high and lifted up. So the statute that was high and lifted up is the the uh, Akira of Mashiach Yeshua, the mountain of Har Moriah, where the Akira originally happened. So the the greatest hook of all we know is the red heifer, which is the whole picture of atoning for us from death, purifying us from death. And so this is why Mashiach's death, burial and resurrection and ascension are a hook Ram. It's Merakok as well because it was in a in a it was far off in a time to come. And then you got Moshe uh going up the mountain, Yehoshua waiting on the mountain, 
or at the foot of the mountain. At the fence, by the way, which is likened to the oral laws of Torah, it's likened to a fence. You got to make a fence around the Torah. And this is where Yeshua was. And so when you think about being in Yeshua, we're totally fine with fences. So there's all that. And again, Yeshua is not a man, so that's all that. Not saying that Yehoshua ben Nun, Yeshua here, is not a man, because obviously he was. But we have a picture in the Torah that when Yeshua comes, like Merakok from afar, in a time to come, he will not be a man, even though he will be in a form of a man. And if you take out the Vav from Ve'ish, you got Ish. And then you got the next word, lo. The word lo, if you spell it backwards, is L. And then you have ish el, like man of God. And then put the vav with that man of God with the vav, which is Mashiach. So you have Mashiach is the man of God. Like vav, ish, el. Mashiach is the man of God. The Torah is the man of God, because vav is Torah. Okay, so... Going over here back to, okay, so that was my swerve. Okay, back to the fact of Yaakov and the heel. Okay, so I wanted to uh, hashtag this podcast as heel kick because I, I wanted to um, just kind of not necessarily vent, but bring up some practical points. I, I will get to this Zohar with the help of Hashem, and then we'll talk about the four worlds, and then we will be done. All right, so, few things for us to heel kick with this parasha. Anything outside of Torah, like Devarim through, I mean, I always put Devarim first. Maybe because you start with Devarim, and then you work your way into Torah. But anyway, Bereshit through Devarim, everything that is in the Bible, okay, Tanakh, Bible, you know, however you want to put it. Everything flows out of the five books. Okay, and really, there's seven, by the way, because you break up uh, Devarim or Bamibar into three because of the double noon passage. So you got your whole seven. And this whole thing about seven, Rabbi Truman brings this up, that the foundation stone has seven channels of water that flow from it to all parts of the earth and so how do we get all these numerous terrains and vast uh, environments of plants and vegetation is because those seven channels that flow from the foundation stone which is in Jerusalem underneath the temple mount that that stone if you were able to tap into those channels you can grow whatever you wanted to grow from it no matter where you tapped into it at so, yes, you can be in a desert and you can grow stuff that should not be able to grow in a desert because it's taking nourishment from the uh, the well of living waters coming from the foundation stone. Because we know Yeshua is the foundation stone. It's a stone to rebuild, the builders have rejected, but it is the chief cornerstone. So without this stone, you can't build nothing. But anyway, I digress to say that, you know, all of the Tanakh and all of the, okay, so all of the prophets and all of the writings, because Tanakh, Torah, prophets and writings, okay, all of that flows out of Torah. We read last week about how when Mashiach comes, the even the writings and the prophets will go away and we'll just have Torah. That's because it all came from that place. And then we talked about as you ascend into the higher worlds, everything becomes one. So it looks like you're losing something, but you're actually gaining. But anyway, we're just... 
Bezrat Hashem, that's in the four world study. All right. So, yes. Uh, yeah, I'll talk about that later. All right. So, with that being the point, if you are trying to gain deeper insights as a Lapidnik or as a follower of Yeshua, which should be synonymous, but there's so much wiggle room there for so many people who are like, well, I don't want Lapid forced on me and I'm, I'm a follower of Yeshua. I'm a follower of the way. Just want to point out the word for Lapid is all about being a follower of the way because Lapid is torch. Torch lights the way, lights the path. And there's a whole teaching about the Lamed of Lapid gives us the teaching that will avert us from destruction, which is Pied. So take away the Lamed, the teaching, and you're left with Pied, which is destruction. So if you want to be a light of Hashem in the world, but you don't have the teaching in the Torah of Hashem, the teaching of Mashiach, then, you know, you'll be set up for destruction, which is why we have to really be anchored in Torah. So do the Aliyah day with Rabbi Mordecai Griffin and read your Humash, be with your study group, keep the Shabbat, learn and grow from Moshe every week. So bring this up because when it gets into, like, I want to learn all this stuff, I want to read about Yeshua and the Talmud, because they say there's things that talk bad about him. Well, there's really only uh, one case that we know of so far, because we haven't read the whole Talmud. Surprise! Anybody who's read the whole Talmud, please raise your hand. Please see me and help me translate that. But anyway, I digress. Because, you know, the Talmud wasn't written in English. Just saying. So even the Talmud that we are reading, it's the English. And I can definitely tell you that the part about Yeshua is uh, is steeping in human excrement uh, because he spurned the Torah. It doesn't even say Yeshua there. It just says that those who are uh, heretical, it uses a term for heretical, their, steep, their name is being steeped in uh, human excrement. And it talks about, you know, Ankylos and it talks about other people who are like, hey, take it from us. You should follow the Torah and you should do what it says. So there's a whole thing, a whole section on that. So anyway, that wasn't my point. My point is, is that, you know, there are so many other writings that are out there. But if they pull you away from Torah, they will destroy you. Bottom line. Okay, I could spend more time dancing around, but I don't have time for that. Neither do you, because I don't even know how you have time to be listening to this whole podcast. But I'm making it and you're listening and I'm grateful. So, um, yeah, so don't get pulled away from Torah. So if you want to read, you know, the Gospel of Barnabas or if you want to read the Revelation of Kepha, which is Peter, the Revelation of Peter, or if you want to read the Dadach, or if you want to read something like that, you know, again, Yeshua and the Talmud, Jesus and the Talmud, whatever. If you want to read, um, you know, any other writings outside of Torah, if it pulls you away from Torah, put it down. I.e., or actually, don't even put it down, throw it away. Drop kick it, burn it. Okay, don't burn it, that's a little violent. Uh, just get rid of it. Just stop reading it. Just don't do it. Okay, because the moment you start questioning Torah, that's exactly where the impeder, i.e. Hasatan, wants you to be. 
yeah. So anyway, the adversary is lurking for everybody. He's ready to chomp down. He's hungry. We should be hungry too. So just saying, we should be eating up the fruits of the spirit, righteousness. Anything that connects us to Torah, we should eat it up and ask for seconds. Okay, anyway, because you got to have your Mashiach ben David portion. So when you eat your first round, that's always your Yeshua ben Yosef or your Mashiach ben Yosef helping. And it's like, man, that was so good. I want some more. It's like, may I have my Mashiach ben David portion, please? Okay, just saying, because there's two Mashiachs. This is why, you know, if we just go with Yeshua came, he died, and he rose, and he ascended. If we just stop there, you're you're still hungry. There's still going to be more food because guess what? Mashiach's coming back maybe soon in our time. And when he comes back, that's when we'll experience being completely set free from our sin and our new bodies. Right now, we're, we're only sinning because we want to which is so heartbreaking every single time you vocalize that, right? It's just like, why am I sinning? Oh yeah, because I wanted to. Because really, you don't have to. People have done it. Ask Benjamin, ask Yeshai, like these people in our uh, history, you know, Benjamin, son of Yaakov, Yeshai, son of Obed, you know, they've done it. We can do it. What's wrong with us? We got Mashiach. Yeah, that all sounds great until you get confronted with sin and temptation, right? It's like, man, I'm I'm so free and free indeed, and I'm set free. Oh, temptation. Hey, how you doing? And boom, you're destroyed. Anyway, so this whole Yeshua, I got Yeshua talking. I don't need to do Torah. Like, what in the world? What kind of nonsense? Anyway, by the way, the more Torah you keep, the more far from sin you become, the less you notice you sin. To which a rapper quoted this a while back when I, before my conversion life, before I converted, uh, I used to listen to gospel rap, I guess, or Christian rap. And he was like, no, nah, I ain't sinless, but I sin less and some, some, something. And I was like, man, that sounds so legit. I wish I was living like that. And it's just like, well, until Torah, now you realize things that I struggled with before. Because I'm doing Torah, number one, I don't have time for it. And number two, I'm so focused on Hashem that I really don't want to do that. So, and one of the cool things uh, that I want to just bring up as a personal testimony, the, the, the more I'm eating healthier foods and like really finding things that I am in tune to, because all of us have that one particular food type that we're really drawn to. Me, it's sweets. You know, I love sweets. So, you know, by the way, sweets don't have to be just pancakes or they don't have to be just like Pop-Tarts or donuts, you know, but they can be, you know, apples, dates, you know, and things like that, you know, organic growing from the earth type sweets. And I can be drawn to those things. And I've been noticing that, you know, I realize that's who I am. Even everything about me is about sweet. Like, I just want, I want to make everything sweet. To quote Iron Man, I am not the leader, but I just like to make everybody look cool. You know, literally, that is my thing. I love sweetening up stuff. I love making people, you know, sweet names. I love giving people sweet insights, sweet sources, you know, I'm all about sweet. So I realized that that's going to be in what I eat. So figuring that out so I don't end up having the sugars at an early age. 
uh, or at any age. I don't want that. Chasbe Shalom. Thank you, Hashem. Thank you for healing me. I mean, thank you for good choices. I mean, so anyway, my personal testimony is that I'm noticing figuring this all out and this all working together that I don't like eating prepackaged sweets. Like, I'm like, man, I don't want to buy this honey bun right now, but it's the only thing I got. Man, I need to figure my life out. So I, this is not the only option I ever need to have. Like, I can make sweet things, you know, you can take some grapes and get it some yogurt, you know, small natural yogurt, and that could be a snack, you know. Anyway, there's all sorts of things I can do. But I'm just saying, like, because I'm drawing more towards to, you know, these things that I'm less of artificial, like, I don't want that. Like, it's gross to me. Like, I'm like, Bleh. can I have something else? Anyway, so uh, and the other thing I want everybody to heal kick on. OK, so we got if it's not leading you to Torah, throw it away. Uh, and then uh, when it comes to the writings of Paul. First of all, you need to know the writings of Paul are always exalted over Yeshua because Yeshua's uh, testimonies, his words, his teachings, which are a part of the Basora, are actually codified and sometimes commentated on as part of what's called Old Testament, which we shouldn't ever call it Old Testament. But you'll colloquially hear that, oh yeah, the Gospels, that's really Old Testament because that's before Yeshua died. And it's like, the only thing, well, I mean, there's many things, so I can't even say that, but Yeshua's death did not change testaments. <laughs> like, Yeshua was slain before the foundation. So if we really want to have a New Testament, it should have started, oh, it does. It started with Bereshit bara et, okay? In the beginning, Hashem created. That is the New Testament. So just saying, if you really want to go there. And so calling it the Brit Hadashah, I mean, the renewal of the covenant, I get that. But, you know, break it down. There's the Basora, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. There's the uh, the account of Acts. There's the writings of Paul, the writings of Kepha, the writings of Yochanan, the writings of Yaakov, which is James, the writings of Yehuda, which is Jude. Okay, so you have all these things. So you got to just like break these things down because if you start really calling it, but in the Brit Hadashah, it says, you know, obviously this is going to take training because we're used to calling it the Brit Hadashah. At Lapid, we call it Brit Hadashah. But if we get used to and get the understanding, okay, in the writings of Shaul, it says, or in the writings of Kepha, it says, you know, which is like first Kepha, second Kepha. And things like that. And so if you start doing that, then you can help yourself be set up to properly use these tools and sources. So uh, you want to make sure that you do that, because if you start treating letters as if they are Torah or Tanakh, then that becomes a problem because now you can take a letter and compete with. Yes, I did say compete, compete with a verse of Torah. In the Torah, it says that if you eat unclean foods, these unclean foods, by the way, are called an abomination. But yet you can get into the writings like Timothy and be like, well, anything received with Thanksgiving, it's pure. So if you're going to let that trip you up to say, oh, well, I don't have to eat kosher as long as I'm thankful for it, it's pure. 
Okay, so now you've just competed with Torah by using a letter. See how that holds up in court. You're like, hey, judge, just want to let you know, man, I'm thankful for the person who gave me these letters. And, uh, you know, the written law, you know, that was so binding, that was so heavy. By the way, just ugh, cringing thinking about this. You know, I just want to point out I didn't follow it because, you know, I was thankful for this letter. So shouts out to the cool guy with the letters. And just tell me how, how well that holds up in the court of law. Because, by the way, Shaul is not going to be in the courtroom with us when we're going through the final judgment. But guess who will be in the room? The Torah. And guess what else will be in the room? Your deeds. Whether for good or for worse. These are the things that you will take with you when you die. What did you do in your life? That's what you're going to take with you. Because all of our deeds, good or bad, are recorded. And there's an accuser for those things that we failed in. And there is also a witness and an advocate for those things that we did excel in. So let us not forget. So, yeah. So anyway, uh, he'll kick, please. Don't let anybody uh, take you out of your salvation. Oh, final thing I want to say on this heel kick is if you do Jewish things because you have made up in your mind that you are converting, that you have converted, that you do trust in Hashem, that you do follow his Mashiach, that you are born again, that you are a new creation, that you walk in Torah, you don't want to live a life of sin, that you do not want to walk in idolatry. Nobody can tell you you're not Jewish. Okay. Uh, see source on the children of Israel at the foot of the mountain of Sinai when they're washing their clothes. Uh, Uncleos, he talks about the conversion process was just the fact that they changed their clothes. And clothes is always in Hasidus, taught as deeds. So the moment you begin renewing your deeds, that is your conversion. And by the way, Yeshua in Yochanan chapter 3 talks about being born of the Spirit. And it's like, trying to find out where the wind is coming from. You don't really know, but you can feel it. This is what it's like for one who is born of the Spirit. So if you are a person who is beginning to observe Torah and you picture one mitzvah, you do that one mitzvah and you proclaim yourself as a Jew, okay? Because if someone is going to tell you you're not Jewish and yet you are keeping the Shabbat, by the way, the Shabbat is equivalent to all the Torah. And if you're keeping Shabbat, by default, you're not a non-Jew because only a Jew keeps Shabbat. So just really do deductive reasoning on that. If you are wearing zitzit and you're covering your head, if you are trying your best to eat kosher and you're mostly eating kosher and you're only not eating kosher because it's an emergency or, or something like that, Okay, don't let anyone say, well, you're not Jewish, so you should just give it up. Well, yeah, that's what the enemy wants you to think. He wants you to give up. But Torah doesn't work as an all or nothing. This is why in Acts chapter 15, it says, don't place upon them a yoke that we ourselves couldn't bear. Because every person who's Torah observant, they did not start out where they are. I guarantee you. I'm just going to point it out to you myself. When I started following Torah, I was still going to church on Sunday. I was still eating triple cheeseburgers. I really didn't even know what Shabbat was. I definitely did not do Arab Shabbat. 
And don't get me started on the festivals. Okay, so, and I didn't even know a thing about Hebrew or Torah study. Okay, I never really looked at the Old Testament as done away with, but still. So, just remember that, okay? We grow into our observance. And by the way, if you try to get it all out in the first five years, what are you going to do for the rest of your life? Are you just going to be like, well, I, I, I successfully became a Jew. It only took me five years. And it's just like, okay, so you're 32. What are you going to do now? Well, I was thinking that since I've become a Jew and there's nothing else I can do, then I guess I'll just do me. And it's just like, yeah, fall off the path, burn out. Is that really what you want? You really want to just burn out? Or do you really want to spend your whole life growing into being the greatest light of the world that Yeshua called you to be? Because you take your time. Because when you learn something, you've really learned it. You're really doing it. You're really connected to it. You really feel it. And it gets to the point where people can be like, oh, you're not legitimate. You're like, okay, well, I'm just going to go back over here and do shakarit and wrap tefillin and continue to eat kosher and keep Shabbat. Man, it's so sad that people don't think I'm legitimate. I'm just going to be so observant and they're probably not even this observant. Oh, wait, I shouldn't be talking like that. Anyway, because the truth be told, and I've seen this as well, that people who tell you you're not legitimate and that you need to give up, you know, trying to think that you're a Jew and who converted you and your conversions not accepted. Those very people, they themselves, if they are not on par with your level, wherever your level is, trust me, you can be like, well, I only like candles and I cook my Arab Shabbat dinner and then I show up to shul in the morning. It's like, I guarantee someone who comes at you and tells you that's horrible. You should stop doing that. And you're a terrible Jew. You're not even a Jew. You're illegitimate. I guarantee you that person is lacking in some area. That's probably worse, even though there's not any worse because all the mitzvot are really equal. So yeah. So let that be a thing because really a person who is a true Jew, you don't call out other people. And you realize the fact that if someone is lighting candles, that right there in and of itself is amazing. That right there should cause greater rejoicing in your house than any other house. Because there are so many things that people can be doing on a Friday night and lighting candles ain't one of them. But they but if a person is going to light candles and they're going to cook their Shabbat dinner, then you just better be happy that they're lighting candles. And it can go for any mitzvah, really. So shouts out to people who do that. And uh, yeah. All right. So he'll kick. Make yourself uh, go forth. Be strong. And um, if if you needed any other hashtag or simple statement in the words of Iron Man, heroes are built. There you go. That that's really helped me because there are so many things that I fall short in all the time. And it's, and I just got to remember, I wasn't, I wasn't born a hero. I had to like, I had to forge my path. Every one of us, we have to forge our path. We're all going to have an Akida moment where it's just kind of like, I'm Abraham and Hashem, you told me I was going to have a son and like, Oh, you gave me a son. And then I got to sacrifice him. It's cool. I know if I sacrifice him, you're going to resurrect him anyway, even though I don't know what that looks like or what that means. That's cool. We're all going to have to lay down our greatest desires at some point. And that's totally fine. Go forward. 
be built, forge your way, be found in Hashem. All right. So back to Parsha Toldo, Ekev putting on the Yod makes it Yaakov and Yaakov and the healed. What's this all about? Zohar Sonsino Preso Dishon, 138a, page 43. It says, and he called his name Yaakov. It was God who called him so. God called Yaakov by his name. Get you some. So too it is written uh, lower down. Hath he not rightly called his name Yaakov? Bereshit. 2736 and not his name was called so Hashem called him his name wasn't he wasn't just given that name like oh we'll just name him Yaakov it's like no Hashem called him that say God saw that the primeval the primeval serpent was full of guile to do mischief and so when Yaakov appeared he said behold here is one who can stand up to him by the way, y'all, Jews were the only ones who can stand up to the primeval serpent. Just saying, Mashiach did it and he leads his followers in that. So what does that mean about his followers? Oh, Jews. Okay. Because they're the only ones who can stand up to what he stood up to. Anyway, food for thought. R.I.B. Uh, is harmless as doves, but as wise as serpents as Mashiach brings down says, behold, here is one who can stand up to him. And therefore he called him Yaakov, akin to the term via Kemi, which is, and he acted toward me with guile, Bereshit 27.35. It has already been pointed out the simple term Vayikra, and he called, as when it says, and he called unto Moshe, points to the lowest grade of the Sephirot. What is that, everybody? Because you've been doing the GT series. You know the lowest Sephiroth is Malkut. Brugashem. Okay. So at no time did Yaakov receive a name from a human being. So in another message we find, and God of Israel called him El, God. Bereshit 33.20, signifying that God, the God of Israel called Yaakov by the name El, which is God. As though to say, I am the God of the supernal world and be you the God of the world below. Because Yaakov represents Malkut, which is the world below. So Hashem said, you know what, Yaakov, you take the world below, I'll take the world above. We'll both be called God. Get you some of that, right? Observe that Yaakov knew that Asaph was destined to ally himself to that torturous serpent. Yaakov knew Asaph was destined to ally, like he was going to be an ally. Seriously? Asaph ally with the serpent? Oh my gosh. So here's the, here's why that's so crazy. Because you go back to Rabbi Zrash on Shabbat. Before he did the Romans 5 dropkick to the face with the rocket launcher and everything. He was talking about how if you look at Hashem giving us the Torah because we were sinners. And he gave us the Torah to point out our sin. And then he came down himself in Yeshua to save us from that sin. It's like he set us up and then condemned us for it. And then was like, well, just kidding. I won't condemn you if you come back to me. And then, you know, now that I, now that we've done that, just forget the whole thing, because that's ultimately what the Torah done away with is. 
So we have to be under the Torah to be called sinners. And then we have to receive the grace that comes through Yeshua. And then it's like, now that we got that grace, now let's forget about what brought us to that point so that now we can just have grace and be like, well, the reason I received this grace is because I was doing stuff that was bad. But now I'm going to take away that what I was doing, which was bad. Now that's not bad anymore because I got grace. I can do what was bad. So why did I need to be saved in the first place? If I can still do the same thing I was doing before I was saved because I need grace. So like is grace like a title or like a badge? Like, what is this? So anyway, Asaph being allied to the serpent, because who promulgates this teaching? The descendants of Asaph, i.e. Christianity, i.e. Rome, which is where Christianity comes from. Christianity was a religion, a faith system built up by Rome, and they are allied with the serpent. Now, that doesn't mean that every Christian is allied with the serpent, but that does mean that Christianity is allied with the serpent. Many of us who've come out of Christianity know exactly what I'm saying. I am saying that there are those who are coming out of the church who are realizing, oh my gosh, like this is not what the Bible says. I actually read my Bible today and I'm supposed to keep Sukkot. Like, what is this? And how come the church never keeps Sukkot? It's like because the serpent doesn't keep Sukkot. And by the way, the serpent goes to Sukkot and tries to kill people who keep Sukkot. So like... Really, what are we talking about? Anyway, so Yaakov knew that Asav was going to be destined to ally with the serpent. This is why we have to understand that while we can't bash Christianity, we have to be ready for those who will be coming from Christianity. Because ultimately, when the fullness of the nations come in, i.e. the fullness of non-Jews, no matter where they're coming from, they could come from Christianity, they can come from Islam, which is Yishmael's descendants, or they can come from all sorts of other faith systems and religions, just, you know, throw a coin down on the ground and name something. And it's like, oh, that's a faith. Okay. Okay. So, cause there's like all these gods people believe in, they worship nature, they worship creation and not the creator, all that Romans one stuff. Okay. So when all those people come in, then, you know, that's when the final redemption happens. And, you know, the judgment that has been piling up will go forth. Bezrat Hashem, it's not as great of a judgment because because we're making so much teshuva, because we're turning our heart to God, because we're finally listening to his voice, that judgment is being sweetened. Eyes are being opened and less and less destruction is happening. More and more repair is happening. So that's kind of the thing on that. And I want to point out that when did Midian get destroyed? It was after Moshe and his family left. When did Egypt get destroyed? It was after Yosef or, well, yeah, Yosef and his family left because you remember Yosef's bones left, you know, and all the children of Israel went with him. So Yosef and his family. Yeah. Which is the same thing for Christianity. When Yeshua is rightly restored back to Judeanity, wow, Judeanity, when Yeshua is rightly restored back to Judaism, because that's the only person who ever, that's the only religion who ever taught about Mashiach, by the way. Uh, if you really want to know why we should believe in Yeshua, then you have to understand Mashiach and you have to look into the mystery of Yeshua ben Nun in the Torah. And the more you start seeing that, the more you start understanding, oh, okay. 
It's not like Christianity was like, hey, by the way, Judaism missed this little Messiah thing. So here you go. If you don't get this, then you're dead. Turn or burn. Get sanctified or chicken fried. It's like, no, it's in Torah. Mashiach is in Torah. You just got to know oral Torah. By the way, if you don't have oral Torah, you don't have Torah. So just want to point that out. Because tell me how you're going to safeguard the Shabbat. I know you're not supposed to do any work. And I know you're not supposed to make other people work. And I know that you are not supposed to uh, kindle a fire. But how do you know when Shabbat starts? How do you know what that looks like when Shabbat starts? How do you know what it ends? How do you know what that looks like when it ends? How do you really make the seventh day separate? Like, do you do something special? Because when you really think about it, if you take away the oral Torah, you will make your own oral Torah because you'll be like, well, I do keep Shabbat and this is how I do it. And then you'll come up with a whole bunch of things that you manifested up. And it's just like, well, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. But anyway, I digress. And by the way, what is a sukkah and what does it look like? And how do you know you're in the right sukkah? Because a Coleman tent is not a sukkah. I'm just saying, hashtag, you need the oral Torah in order to have the written Torah. Anyway, so I digress. So when Yosef and his family left Egypt, Egypt was destroyed. When Yeshua is rightly restored back to Judaism, Christianity will be destroyed because there's going to be nothing left. It's like if you take Yeshua out of Christianity, what really do you have? You have Hallmarky, uh, Good News Club Band, uh, Plastic Banana Rock and Roll Fun Time, chilling. But no substance. It's cotton candy. If you want some real truth, if you really want to know what the Bible says, you got to be Jewish. You got to have the oral Torah. So back to this, though. Uh, this Zohar Sonsino Presadicion 138B. Uh, by the way, it's all in volume two. And it says that uh, Yaakov knew that Esau was destined to ally himself to the torturous serpent. Hence, in all his dealings with him, he conducted himself like another torturous serpent. So now you got two Mashiachs, which are found in Yaakov, Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben David, which is Yosef and Judah. Okay, and then you got two serpents, which is the primeval serpent, and then you got Esau. So they both con, they both use all these crazy devices, and there we go. So this is already brought down here, and it says, The same idea was expressed by Rabbi Shimeon when, ex when in expounding the verse, And God created the great fish and every living creature that creeps. Bereshit chapter 1 verse 21. He said the great fishes are symbolic of Yaakov and Esau. And every creature that creeps symbolizes all the intermediate grades. Verily, Yaakov was endowed with cunning to enable him to hold his own with the other serpent. Okay. This is why, by the way, we don't need to fight with people because we're, we're like a great serpent, for lack of a better term. Mashiach is called a serpent. We're called a serpent. There's a holy serpent and an unholy serpent. And Yaakov is the holy serpent. So we can hold our own. We can fight. We can take some people down. But the thing is, is that we don't need to get into arguments because it's a lose lose situation. If you win, you lose. OK, learn that. 
This is why we don't argue with people. If people really want to come at us telling us, oh, I don't know why you wear a head covering. Okay, first of all, don't argue with them. If they really want to know about why we wear a head covering, then explain. But if they don't, disengage and go the other way. Because you could win that battle, but even in your winning will be a loss because, number one, they're not going to hear you and their heart is going to harden because they were just trying to get their point across and they were trying to trip you up. And also they were just trying to distract you because there are so many things that you need to get done. And if you get to have this little side argument, you now have less and less time to get things done that you already don't have time for. So just remember that we're a great serpent. We can throw down, we can hold our own. But the thing is, usually when people come at us with accusations and if they're trying to combat us, over insights they don't know which way is up because anybody who doesn't have the oral torah or follow it or live it out okay they can't tell you anything about the bible now there are special cases where shem can illuminate people and this is how you have people who don't know anything about anything but they know when they hear a shofar like oh i love hashem i'm gonna cry or like man I, I just don't know i should keep the shabbat or man there's just something about the hebrew language or something like that or there's just something about gematria it's like oh man i don't know but at the same time they don't fight you on it they don't go oh, i don't want to keep that torah stuff but teach me hebrew and it's just like yeah about that so watch out for the serpent. Okay, so for the same, turn, returning back to source, for the same reason, every new moon, a goat is to be offered up so as to draw the serpent to his own place and thus keep him away from the moon. <laughs> as the moon is getting renewed, you're trying to draw out the serpent to keep him away from the moon. That's just insane, Zohar. What you doing? The same applies to the Day of Atonement when a goat is offered. All this is cunningly devised in order to gain dominion over him and make him impotent to do mischief. So scripture says, and the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities into a land which is cut off. What is the land that is cut off? Oh, yeah. Mount Seir. Yeah. Rome. Christianity. It's called cut off. Anyway, that's uh, Leviticus 16.22, where the sa'er, the goat, as already explained, symbolizes Asav. And it says, and all dealings with him, cunning and craft are employed, i.e. be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. It says, in accordance with the words of scripture and with the crooked dust or you, thou dost show yourself subtle. Tehillim, killing me Roman numerals. Uh, 1827. And as the evil serpent is resourceful and crafty, trying to mislead the heavenly as well as earthly beings, Yisrael anticipate him and counter him with similar ruses and devices so as to prevent him from working his evil will. Just as Yaakov who was endowed with the true faith and all his actions towards Asaph had no aim to prevent the serpent from defiling the sanctuary or even approaching it and so achieving dominion over the world. There was, however, no need for Abraham or for Yitzhak to use torturous rays, seeing that Asaph, 
who was of the side of the serpent had not yet appeared in the world. But Yaakov, being the master of the household, had to counter the serpent and to give him no chance to tarnish the sanctuary of Yaakov. Hence, Yaakov had need of such shifts more than any other person. Yisrael, therefore, was chosen as the portion for the heritage of the Holy One. Yisrael, Jews, Hebrews, crossed over ones, converted people. Okay, that's what this verse is saying. Were chosen as the portion and the heritage of the Holy One, i.e. believers in Yeshua. Okay, Jews. We are the portion of Hashem. We're the heritage of Hashem. Blessed be he, as it is written, for the portion of Adonai is his people, Yaakov, the lot of his inheritance. Devarim 32, 9. So, if you're not Jewish, you're not a part of the portion of Hashem. So, I suggest we work on that part. Alright, so, the other thing that I want to bring down is uh, in Parsha Ekev that uh, G. Shekel goes back to this beautiful little mystery here. Yaakov grabbing onto the heel of Esav, um, which comes from this same section of Zohar that I was talking about. But check this out, though. He goes into some, um, well, Zohar Volume 1, 138a, and then we're going to go into Midrash Rabbah, Malachi, and more Bereshit. Anyway, I'm just going to read this. So this is from G. Shekel, Gadai of Bet Yisrael over in India, or what I hope to be a, I hope he is a Lepidnik. Anyway, it says, according to another explanation, the words, and his hand had hold, imply that he would not escape from him entirely, but his hand was still clinging to his brother's heel. Esoterically speaking, the moon was obscured through the heel of Asaph. Hence, it was necessary to deal with him cunningly so as to thrust him downwards and make him adhere to the rain assigned to him. The moon is obscured through the heel of Asav, and therefore the stone is rejected through the heel of Asav, because the sun turns away his face. And to whom does the sun refer? Moshe asked, shall they remain in pledge forever? God replied, no, only until the sun appears, that is, till the coming of the Messiah. For it says, but unto you that fear my name shall the sun of righteousness arise with healing in its wings. That's the Malachi 3.20 from the Midrash Rabbah, Shemot 31.10. All right, if we take the first letter, okay, so we're on uh, Bereshit 25.26. The first letter of each word in this verse, a process called Notarikon, starting with the name of Yaakov and ending with the name of Esav, Going backwards, we spell the name Yeshua. If we continue through the next two words, we read Yeshua comes. So the moon is obscured and shining the light of Messiah by the heel of Asaph. This is why there are certain things that get mentioned in church or they get mentioned in Christianity or they get mentioned by people who are non-Jew. That makes so much sense, 
but we have to line it back up and connect it to Torah because at that point we manifest out this verse about the coming of Yeshua and the light of Yeshua by the heel of Asav. We grab a hold of that and that's how you like bring in some serious truth. Now check this out. The last letter uh, in Yeshua in the Hebrew is the letter Ayin. And that is the initial letter of the name of Asav and Asav's heel. So if the heel of Asav is taken away from Yeshua, we have Yeshu. And Yeshu, which by the way translates to Jesus, uh, it says is a name used in rabbinic Judaism, which refers to the uh, anathema rabbinic Judaism associates with Yeshua. All right. And rabbinic or for rabbinic Jews, Yeshu is an acronym for a curse on the name of Yeshua, meaning may the name be blotted out forever. So just saying that you don't want to do that. So grab a hold of Asav's heel and be Yaakov. So you need to be a Jew who grabs all these teachings about Torah and Yeshua. You bring them back into Torah. This is why the best way to study the gospel accounts, the best way to study the letters, the best way to study the account of Acts is from inside your Torah portion because you have to be Yaakov reaching out to Asaph's heel. The beautiful thing about the gospel and the account of Acts and all the letters and even Revelation is that nothing of that is original manuscript. Sleek as far as translation. And also if you really look at these letters, you're getting in the middle of conversations. And tell me how well that works. When you walk up into the middle of someone's conversation and try to act like you know what's going on, that's the equivalent of jumping into Corinthians or jumping into Romans. You have no idea what is going on. You have no idea the context and you don't know, has the, have these people asked Paul a question or did Paul respond back a question? What was going on? Like, you don't know. You just jumped in the middle of a conversation. There's a famous saying. It's called, this is an A and B conversation. See your way out. Hmm, about that. So anyway, but because we know Torah, the original conversation, you can reach into those conversations and know what's going on because you'll find out that those are rabbinic things. So there is that. All right, so let's finish up with four worlds. Parsha Ekev. All right, so the four worlds, because... This is important when we're looking at the the Kabbalah that we need to know that those 10 Sephirot, there's actually 11, first of all, which goes back to the point of uh, when you look at 11, there are actually four times that we see 11. So you got four worlds. Let's go ahead and let me get my page here. This is from the Jewish wisdom of the numbers. Uh, four letter name of God, the four elements. Here we go. Creation and the four worlds. All right. So this is important because if you take the 10 Sephiroth and you go through the four worlds in each of the four worlds, there are 10 Sephiroth, actually 11. But let's leave the 11th one out, which is Keter right now. 
So normally when we say 10 Sephiroth, we're normally talking about the 10 Sephiroth, like starting with Kokma, Bina, go all the way down to Malkut. That's 10. Okay, so if you do 10 four times, guess what you get? 40, which is the Mem, which is Torah, which is Mashiach, which is Moshe. So that's the four worlds, really, when you wrap it up in a nutshell. So don't let that throw you off. The four worlds, they also correlate to the letters of the divine name of Hashem, the Yod and He, the Vav and He. So the Yod is the highest world. The He is the second world. The Vav is the third. And then go down to the last He, that's the fourth. Okay. Put all those together. You have Torah. You have Mashiach. You have Moshe. So Moshe was a chariot for the name of God. This is why he can do some of the most amazing things while himself being a human. We have the same potential, the same capabilities, but are we refining ourselves? That is the question. This is why Musar is a good thing. This is why being Torah observant is another great thing because the Torah actually rebuilds you. Remember, heroes aren't made, they're built. Or heroes aren't born, they're built. Anyway, either way it goes. You're built. You got to be built up. Got to be built up in your most holy faith, as Yehuda puts it. All right. So, but then if you take the 11, add the Keter to all those, now you have 11 times 4, which is 44. Guess what the gematria of 44 is? Blood. Dom. Dalit Mem. And blood is in man. And when you take the Aleph and add it to the Dom, you get Adam, which is man. This is why Adam literally is the first man, because the blood of Hashem had to come down into creation. Had to be unified and come down. That's Adam. So now when you look at Dom, you're looking at the blood of Hashem, which is the DNA of Hashem, which is the Torah, which is Mashiach. Mashiach is the blood of Hashem. And this is why his blood is ultimately what redeems us, because it's really Hashem's blood. It's the name of Hashem. And remember, the life of something is in his blood, as we learned back in Vayikra. So put that all together. The four worlds, the image of Hashem, the manifestation, it's the Mem, but it's also the Mem Dalit. And remember, Dalit is the door, which is Yeshua, so you can really say the Torah in Yeshua, Dalit Mem, blood of Hashem. Okay, so let me just read this to you, and then we're done. All right, so this is on page 75, talking about the number four. It says, creation unfolds to take shape within the physical realm. So stop right there. Creation unfolds. What do you unfold? Uh, clothing, uh, tents, uh, things that are in small uh, spaces that are actually bigger in size. This is why if you really look at the scientific results of the universe, it says it seems to be that the universe is expanding. Well, that's because Hashem spreads out the heavens like a curtain. Like, I don't know if anybody read that verse or not, but just saying. The heavens are what's above us. And so when you really look at creation, creation is not really like it can be folded down just like we fold our tallit. This is why I think our tallit is so cool. Just the revelation of having it in a bag and then we pull it out and we put it on our shoulder. Like it's a giant thing. Like it's uh, Talit Gadol for a reason, but when it's folded down, you're like, oh, it's my Talit. 
And you're like, but it fits in your hand or it fits in two of your hands or it fits on your shoulder. And it's like, no, it encompasses my whole body. And you're just like, what? I don't get it. Like, this is what creation is. Creation, we think, is like, it's it, it's just kind of like, okay, we're inside of creation. Woo-hoo. And Hashem's like, really, it's smaller than your talit. Because I folded it. And so creation, like, has to unfold. This is why when you come across the uh, the commentary when you're studying Parashah Vayetze, that Hashem collapsed all of creation, or at least all of uh, Israel, the, the land that was promised, the land of Canaan, basically. He collapsed it all and put it underneath the head of Yaakov when he laid down to sleep on the mountain. It's like, but he lay down to sleep on the mountain, but yet the mountain was is a part of the land, which is all folded down and compressed and put underneath his head. And this is the whole teaching of Hashem is Hamakom because the place is inside Hashem because Hashem is the place, but he's not in the place. So it's all like this. Think of the, again, think of the Ant-Man. You got the, like he's giant man and like he's small man, regular man. It's like, this is what happens depending on how much creation is folded or unfolded. Either way, it can all fold down and collapse down into more than quantum. We're on the level of uh, Mandelbrot fractal zoom. And Mandelbrot fractal zoom is a YouTube video you can look at. It's like an hour or two long with music in the background because that's how long it takes to do a a Mandelbrot fractal zoom. It just goes on forever. So Hashem is beyond that. So let's just get a little bit of a, a picture here. Like that's insane. It's like you tell me you fold creation down into that, but then you unfold in this giant thing. It's like, yeah, just like your camping tent. Your camping tent can sleep eight people, but yet it can fit in a little small bag that can go in the trunk of your car. So there's that. All right. So that's physical creation it can be folded down all right okay blue screen all right in the creation process an amorphous state of divine potential takes on definitive shape using the four to find its physical expression an amorphous state of divine potential Like it doesn't have any form, but it takes on a form using the four. Because Mashiach is the dollar, right? So when Hashem, who didn't really have like a form, he does have an image though. Uh, When he was just kind of like he's ain't self, everything is unlimited, it's infinite. Okay, I need to form myself. So let me just use Yeshua real quick. That's exactly what that just said. Okay, blue screen. All right, so the descent, and by the way, this is called a descent, hence Yeshua descended. The descent from the united higher realm of godliness. This is why there's no trinity, because there's a united higher realm of godliness that is infinite. There's infinite manifestations of Hashem, and we try, if we try to point them out, not only will that be a no-no, but that is just a oh-no. Anyway, so uh, the descent from the higher united realm of godliness into the lower world of space 
is symbolized by the move from the singularity of one to the multiplicity of four. By the way, this is why if you looked at the Avengers Endgame movie, Captain America is going to go return all those stones back to their place. For him, it took as long as he needed, but on screen, it what took like 30 seconds, maybe a minute, and he showed up as some old guy sitting on a bench. So that's the thing. If you're going to come in and out of the quantum realm, you know, like the people who are watching the person go in and out of quantum realm, like a little bit of time lapses, but where that person went in and out of is infinite. Like quantum realm obviously has limitations, but Hashem is beyond that. But just to kind of simplify it down, that it's kind of like Captain went quantum, like what just happened. And now he's back. Where'd he go? He's over there because he changed some stuff. Okay. But anyway, uh, it's probably a terrible example, but just a, a picture of, you know, trying to get this whole infinite to creation thing. It, it just is just beyond our understanding. But if we want the infinity of Hashem to manifest, it has to come through the four, which is the Dalit has to come through the door. All right. Anyway, so the development of the universe was shaped through the following four worlds. You got the first world, the highest world. This is corresponding to the Yod. It's called emanation or Azilut or for my Ashkenazim, Azilus. Okay. Emanation, Yod, highest world. All right. Step down. World number two is Baria, which is creation. This is the second letter of Hey in Mashiach's name or Hashem's name. Mashiach only has this name because Hashem allowed him to come in this name. But anyway, uh, the name of Hashem manifest is Mashiach. So we know this is a kind of cool thing because hay is like likened to pretty much like physicality. And you see physicality in the second of the four worlds. So there is a physicality like if we go two worlds up. And this is what I love about Mashiach Yeshua is that he is that hay from the second world. He's actually higher than that, but his body, the likeness of the human that he came in is that second hay that came all the way down into this world. This is why he died, but he didn't really die. This is why he was tired, but he wasn't really tired. This is why he ate, but he didn't really need to eat. He was hungry, but he really wasn't hungry. Because this level here is still so far up in unity with Hashem, it's still infinite. In this realm of creation, you can't really fathom it. So it has to look like it fits this creation in order for us to fathom it. Because if not, it's like, I can't interact with this. I don't know what to do. Like, I can't give Yeshua a hug. I can't grab a hold of his zit I can do it spiritually, I guess. But physically, it wouldn't help me. Because if, if he didn't really come down through the third and fourth world, then anytime we tried to touch him, it like our hand would go through him. So anyway, these four worlds here collapsed, so to speak, into the body of Yeshua as he was here. And he operated in all these principles simultaneously. I just don't even know what I'm saying right now. This is ridiculous. Okay, so Borea, creation, 
Second letter of Hashem's name, the Hey, that's the second world. Third world, formation, which is Yetzira, okay, like Yotzer, to form. Literally, if you look at uh, this word here, you have Yotzer Yah, which is the forming of the Yod and Hey, like Yeshua, taking on the form, okay? So you have the physicality that was inside the form that Yeshua came in. That's the second world going into the third world. And the final world you have is Asiya, which, by the way, rearranges to Yeshua with a hay on the end. Matzmiat carrying Yeshua who makes salvation, who makes salvation to sprout forth. That's the fourth world. So really, this world that we're in should literally be a world of salvation. Which, it's getting there. It could go a lot faster, though. So, Baruch HaBaba Shem Adonai. But until then, that's what this world is supposed to be. This is the world of Asiya, which is also from the word Ose, which is the word to do. This is why everything about us is doing. We do. Which, again, is if we didn't have the Torah, we wouldn't have anything to do. And what we would do without Torah would be a violation of it, which would be an undoing. So to kind of put the icing on the cake, in all the four worlds, there are the 11 Sephirot. So if you start with the highest world, you got Keter all the way down to Malkut. Malkut of that highest world is now Keter of this succeeding world. So emanation, the Malkut of that world, which is Azilut. So Malkut of Azilut is going to be Keter of creation, which is Boria. So Malkut Azilut is Keter Boria. Now let's take it down another one. Malkut Boria is Keter of Yetzira, which is formation, the third world. The Malkut of Yetzira formation is the Keter of Asiya. So there you go. So they link up like this beautiful chain, which only begs the question in the highest world the yod the keter of that world the adzilut what is that connected to and that's when you just go i don't even know what that's into uh but some some commentaries i've, I've read say this is adam hakadmon the primordial adam like the adam before the adam which adam from bereshit was fashioned after uh, the, the Memtet of the highest worlds kind of thing. So this is why I really say Yeshua is beyond, uh, these four worlds. Cause you know, he's part of Ain Sof, he's or Ain Sof. So he's the beginning of where you start to recognize infinity, which is why us putting our faith and trust in Yeshua, but not diving into his Torah is kind of nonsense. Because the Torah takes us into worlds beyond this one. And if we thought that, you know, yeah, we can just take Yeshua and, and forget the Torah. It's just like you're stuck in the fourth world. Level up or something. I don't know. But anyway, so Parsha Akev. This has been Akev GT. The Geula talk. So Bezrat Hashem, we treat ourselves like dust. Put ourselves beneath people and bring the redemption and exist in the four worlds through Mashiach Yeshua, hide ourselves in Torah, secure the heel 
of Asaph and he'll kick, he'll kick, he'll kick anybody who tries to pull you away from Torah. And the way you heel kick, obviously, is by doing the least of the commandment, which is the greatest commandment, which is all the commandments, because they're all one. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu Torah temet, vekaye olam natabetokeinu. Baruch atah Adonai, noten ha Torah. Amen.